All right, I think we're up and running. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Free Association. It's 20 past seven in the evening. So first evening show of the week. Um, I was aiming for between half past seven. I don't remember what I said. But uh, evening shows are the way forward, I think. Uh, just because there's a few more people around. And if I can organise myself properly, then I can do an evening show every night, even if it's only half an hour. I do need to sort this connection out though, so let me do that first. Let's try and get a better connection on a Wi-Fi hotspot that, that isn't going to disappear, hopefully. Just switch that around. And it's not showing up yet, so we'll continue with this one for the time being. Uh, I'm going to take a look at BitChute and see what's new and BitChute in the news and Everything's taking a little bit of time, but it'll get there in the end. It will get there, I promise you. Surprisingly, the other hotspot hasn't shown up though. No, it does on the it does on the old computer, but we're doing all right for the time being. If this if this lasts, I'll be surprised. But if it lasts, it'll be. We'll be doing all right, so bit shoots arrived now. So news and politics. Let's have a little bit of um, Alexander Mercurius. Good day. Another day and another week and more goes on in the global crisis, which we are now um, all, our, all of ourselves find ourselves in and which is centred on Ukraine. Now, at the start of every week, it's um, the beginning of further developments. There's going to be an important NATO meeting shortly, um, where apparently hopes of um, ratifying Finland's and Sweden's um, 
joining of NATO, um, those hopes are now fading, given Turkish opposition to this move, which appears to be hardening. And there's also supposed to be an EU summit meeting, which President Zelensky of Ukraine is due to attend, and where he expects, and I expect, that um, Ukraine will be granted candidate status to join the EU. Now, most people, myself again included, believe that this candidate status will take a very long time to be converted into actual status. The he deputy head of Russia's Security Council, the former Russian president Dmitry Medvedev, has uh, said mockingly that by the time Ukraine becomes eligible, actually eligible to join the EU itself as a full member, not Ukraine, nor most probably the EU itself will exist, and that will probably also be sometime in the middle of this century. And I agree with that. But I would say that certain moves that Ukraine has been making over the last few days, and which have been very strangely reported, at least I think so, in the media in the West, ought to show why it is extremely unwise at present, to put it mildly, to agree to Ukraine joining the EU, if, of course, one takes the EU's uh, much-claimed principles of democracy, diversity, um, um, human rights and all the rest at all seriously. Because Ukraine now seems to be in a full campaign to, as is being discussed in some media outlets, including the British outlet, the British uh, newspapers, The Guardian, Ukraine is now in full campaign to um, purge itself of every connection it has with Russia. There's just been an announcement that in the Nikolaev region, um, in southern Ukraine, um, a territory that is on the Black Sea, and where the predominant language is indeed Russian, that the actual use of Russian in schools, and apparently the teaching of Russian in schools, is to be banned. And there is now a law which is working its way through the Ukrainian parliament, which also bans uh, the broadcasting in Ukraine of Russian music, Russian music uh, written and performed since 1991, and Russian literature Russian literature uh, published and written and published since 1991. 1991 being the year the Soviet Union broke, broke up and when, the, when uh, Ukraine obtained its independence. Now, I am assuming that communist literature of the pre-1991 Soviet era is also essentially banned in Ukraine. But in any event, these attacks on Russian culture and this all-encompassing campaign to apparently rename um, all streets that have any reference to Russia, uh, to tear down monuments that connect Ukraine to Russia. All of these seem to me extremely sinister and very wrong, and to be, to say it straightforwardly, in gross contradiction to the kind of values that I've always supposed or at least always been told, and no longer supposed.
always been told that the European Union stands for. And yet, I have been reading in parts of the British media, the Guardian, for example, that you know this is a part of Ukraine's campaign to free itself of Russian influence, to put it back, put behind it the history of its rule by Moscow, and this has been discussed in not so much neutral terms as almost quietly supportive terms. Something which I find quite extraordinary, and again, entirely at variance with the values that The Guardian and other left-wing journals in Britain and in the United States and in Europe purport to support. And I say that because, of course, The Guardian is itself a strong supporter of the EU. It was a vigorous supporter of Britain remaining in the EU. And yet we see that with, with Ukraine, it is, let's put it like this, at least acquiescent in a policy, a set of policies by the Ukrainian government, which to my mind are supposed to appear to be at almost total variance with the project that um, the EU is supposed to embody. Well, as I said, I no longer really believe very much that the EU really stands for these sort of values. I had some lingering beliefs that the Guardian did. Well, these clearly uh, don't apply. Well, uh, that's Alex Mercurius. Let's see what else we've got. We've got another one that he posted yesterday. Um, I want to find somebody else to, to play. I like Alexander Mercurius, but he's a bit repetitive. You just kind of say the same thing every night in a slightly different way, which is fine. I do that myself, so I'm not going to complain too much. So this is British News. It's from uh, GB News. Just a two-minute clip. Because I think as a young person, where is the best place to get news from? And I think that applies to news. Well, of course, but that's, that kind of feeds into my point. Thank goodness for you, because I think there's kind of three places as a young person where you can get news from. Number one, your parents. And obviously there's a lot of issues with um, political bias when they're giving opinions and things. And you see a lot of three-year-olds attending these climate protests and do they really understand, let's be honest, probably not. And if I had listened to my dad, I'd be this raging left-wing Remainer. So um, I, I certainly didn't take my political news from my dad, I can tell you that much. All their social media, and the problem with that is how quickly uh, fake news spreads. For example, I remember a few months ago during the pandemic, uh, there was a rumour that Priti Patel spent £77,000 on getting her eyebrows done. And there really was thousands of retweets and likes, and it turned out that she had just ordered a PPE that happened to be a former beauty company or, or something along those lines. And then there's the mainstream media, and obviously this is something that's been exposed more recently, uh, but there's a lot of problems with, with institutions like the BBC and whether they are truly neutral or can truly be neutral. Um, so I do kind of feel it's like a hard... Uh, 
world to navigate. But I certainly don't think young people should be looking to uh, kind of social media influencers, your Kim Kardashians, who aren't even honest half the time about what uh, kind of filler they've had done. So it's, it's something to be careful of. And I think the answer to it all is question all media and uh, take your information from, from a variety of sources uh, to form your own opinion. Because I think it is important to question things and uh, kind of delve a bit deeper and not take everything on face value. But TikTok isn't the answer. <laughs> no, TikTok definitely isn't the answer, no matter what the question is. Um, so media commentators have turned into teenagers. I don't know how that happened exactly, but uh, it's not a good place for, for anybody to be. So let's find something else, something a bit more meaningful than that particular clip. So the, the rail strike, this is another one from GB News. Uh, over the years, uh, thousands of jobs have been, or tens of thousands of jobs, just to give you a statistic, again from my book, but it's relevant, that uh, in 1948, uh, British Rail had 650,000 employees. By the time it was uh, privatized and fragmented, it had 150. That means it lost 10,000 employees uh, every year of its 50-year existence. And that process has continued, maybe not quite as, as fast, but lots of jobs uh, have uh, been uh, basically teched out, as it were. Uh, but there's still, uh, you can't run the railway without people. And so there will always be uh, a certain number of people. That, that, that all this stuff about driverless trains, for example, is total nonsense. That's just a political stunt on the part of Chaps, you're not going to get driverless trains for decades, if ever. Um, you're always going to need some people to operate the signals and control centres, many fewer than before. And so, always to bring ticket offices, Christian. Yeah, you, you want people on the station as well, which is absolutely crucial for safety purposes. I, I, I just, I just a brief one. Always people in ticket offices. Uh, no, I mean, I, I do think you need some people in big ticket offices. You know, uh, the London Underground has dispensed with people uh, entirely on uh, ticket offices. I think that's a mistake. You see people in around King's Cross and Pankers hanging around not knowing what to do at all. So I think you do need uh, uh, big stations to have uh, ticket offices staffed by people. But you can get away with not staffing uh, lots of smaller stations. But people want to see staff on stations. So... If they don't, not sitting behind the ticket office, they should certainly be there uh, at the gate lines and helping people. There you go, I agree with that. And uh, let's see what else we've got here. British troops preparing to fight in Europe, apparently. Or must be prepared. It's a message they should have been hearing for about the last 70 years. Um, as members of NATO, the British Army should have been from when on European soil throughout that time. Is he likely to find himself having a row with the Secretary of State of Defence at the size of the British Army? Well, I think when the Army works out what it's for, then it can talk about the numbers and the size it wants to be. Because right now, 
Uh, I don't think the army has a coherent doctrine for future operations. Uh, I think Patrick Sanders' words are a good start because it reaffirms that we're back into great power competition and they've got over the 20-year aberration of operating in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, if we'd gone ahead with the 1998 defence review, the army would be in much better shape for the sort of wars that it thinks it might have to deter and fight in the 21st century. For those of us who didn't read it, Chris, what, what was it? What was the 98 plan? Well, the 98 plan basically said um, what the recent integrated review said, and that said that our predominant interest as uh, the United Kingdom is to be predominantly a, a maritime country, uh, which has an expeditionary capability with regard to the continent of Europe. And I'm afraid all that got dashed by uh, this adventure that we took undertook in Afghanistan and the other one, and Iraq, and I'm afraid to say that uh, for most of the sort of recent CGSs, uh, we've been hearing that you know Afghanistan and Iraq would be typical of the next 50 years. Uh, those of us who aren't army officers, uh, and those of us that have a, I would say, a more strategic approach, knew that there would be no public or political appetite for that sort of thing, and have been warning about the return of Russia and the rise of China for quite some time. It, it seems that the army has finally got the message and is gearing itself up for what I call peer and peer plus uh, conflict. Uh, that's good news, but whether they're going to fight on the continent of Europe is a different matter altogether. I believe we should leave land fighting on the continent of Europe to those that need to do it and those that do it best. Um, Chris, what would you say to those who will argue, not least ex-soldiers, who will say, well, there you go, there's a Royal Navy man arguing for a relatively big Navy compared to a relatively small army. Yeah, I mean, I've had cheap shots like that uh, for most of my career. I've, I've had five joint jobs. I, I believe in having strong armed forces across the board. But the fact of life is, until the army can tell us what it's for, whether it's to fight Russia or China or to do a range of other jobs, uh, there's no point in arguing about numbers or indeed the equipment that, uh, that it wants. Right now, uh, we're looking at a war in Ukraine, which effectively is the last 20th century war. And we need to look ahead now and see what sort of wars are going to have to be deterred and fought in the 21st century. Uh, and I'm afraid to say that now, I've had a number of army officers, senior army officers over the last uh, few weeks saying, well, here we go. Ukraine proves that actually my agenda, which involves going back into the womb as far as the army is concerned, is justified. It isn't. There are a lot of new lessons to be learned in Ukraine, but actually there are a lot of old things that we will leave behind us in future. All right, so that was from GB News. Maybe one or two more of GB News clips. There's usually a few here. Peter's prepared to go to pretty extensive lengths, isn't he, to get leverage over the whole world, essentially? Well, Putin is um, definitely not going to back down from this invasion, uh, no matter what we do. Uh, he, he, what, he, he can't back down. The whole purpose of this invasion um, is to, this is like a, a, an invasion to, to distract the Russian people from their anger with him, and to make them angry with a foreign enemy. And so for him, 
the war is the objective. People always ask me, what's the end game here? And the end game is being at war. And he also, as you rightly pointed out, um, uh, doesn't have the same, uh, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to run for re-election because he's a dictator. And so, therefore, he doesn't have to keep the Russian people happy. He can starve them. He can send them off into battle and make them cannon fodder. And none of that matters because he's a dictator. And so, uh, effectively, he can uh, experience great pain. And, and, and let me tell you, they're experiencing great pain. They've lost 30,000 soldiers. Um, the economy is, gonna, is going into a massive recession, probably depression. Uh, they can't even like find ink to put on the on the like uh, juice cartons. Uh, there, I mean, the whole place is is in a in a terrible economic state. But he understands that he can inflict more pain on his people, even if it's like twenty times greater than the pain we we experience, because we're in democracies and we have elections all the time. And, and we could end up, because of high oil prices and high food prices, um, with some change in leadership where someone new comes in and says, wait a second, why, why don't we just like uh, throw our lot in with Putin? And that's what he's banking on. He's saying that time is on his side, it's not on the side of the West, and he's, he's ready to suck up his gut and, and inflict lots of pain on his own people to get there. All right, I think that's probably enough clips for now. Uh, so it's the 20th of June, 7.39, 20 minutes sure. That's not too bad. I was, I was aiming for half an hour and I've done 20 minutes, so that's, that's all right. I'm not going to stretch it. I could, uh, I could play some more clips, but there's not a lot of point. It's just grand chaps. And, uh, Simon Calder and there's... They want to, they're just saying what you'd expect them to say, really. So I'm not going to go there. So I'll call that a night for now. And maybe be back a bit later on. I don't know yet.